Well, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Well, I can tell you what, I am, uh, I'm incredibly spiritually full this morning. Um, as, uh, as Kyle said, we had 13 that are coming to be baptized. And as a dad, I've got two of my eldest being baptized today. And so uh, I am, I'm a bit of a spiritual and emotional wreck this morning. And so I'm, I'm incredibly excited to be able to see them take their next step of faith with Jesus. And so thank you so much for uh, what you do. I mean, we are a church family here, and I, um, I just can't think of how many people I, I see you out there right now that have poured into, invested into me and my family and my kids. And so uh, today's a celebration because they're a product of your investment in us and in them. And so I just want to say thank you so much for who you are and what you mean to, uh, to my family. Well, today we are back in our series called Be the Church. We've taken a, a bit of a break from our series. I think we've been in it for several months now in the book of Mark. But over the last couple of weeks, we've stopped and pushed pause to look at this series that we're calling Be the Church. And today we come to uh, the text. And my assignment today is to present this idea, and that is the idea of purpose. The idea of purpose. Uh, throughout the Bible, what we find is this, is that uh, this is not an individual sport. Now, often what we think of, especially in a westernized, individualistic society, is that for many of us, we think that our relationship with us and God is all that there is, and then after we have a relationship with God, we can kind of go and do our own thing. But in fact, in this series, what we're learning is that there are over 30 verses in the Bible that are commands for us to do as Christians that we cannot fulfill outside of the church. Now today is very interesting because we're talking about this idea of purpose and often we think of it intuitively as an individual longing, something that is innate within inside each and every one of us, this idea of purpose. I was reading just a couple of years ago Craig Rochelle's book, he called, the book is called It, and it is all about the idea of running the race well. And in this book, he tells a story of a greyhound dog race in Florida. If you've never been there or seen one, this is a picture of what it looks like. They have these greyhound dogs, and what they do is they, they set them up on a track, and they have a mechanical rabbit on the interior rail of the track. And so the dogs are in the corral, the mechanical rabbit is on, the tr on this inside rail. And as the story goes, they release the dogs, the mechanical rabbit takes off, and as you can see, they gallop away around the turn. And here they go, they come flying down, as the story's told, all the way to the home stretch, and just as they're about ready to make the turn onto the home stretch, the mechanical rabbit explodes. Wire and fur go absolutely everywhere. And what happens is this, is that in the story, uh, Craig Rochelle says that absolutely none of the dogs finish the race. So everybody that's there betting on the race, pushing for their dog to win, nobody wins the race. And in fact, what happens is this, is that all of these dogs, they do something a little bit different. One of the dogs, they get confused and disoriented and they take off and they run into the side railing and break its ribs. And so it's lying there hurt and yelping. Several of the other dogs, they look at the crowd that are staring at them, and they begin to bark back at them. They begin to yell back at them, right? So they're over there like, oh, oh, You can imagine the scene. Here they are barking back at the crowd. And finally, all the other dogs, what they do is they just lay down. Now, if that isn't a picture of life, I don't know what is. Oftentimes, you and I, we find ourselves in this situation. Without something to chase... We're either gonna hurt ourselves, we're gonna lie down on the ground to do nothing, or we're gonna bark at everybody around us. Can I get an amen? This is often 
the story of our life. Uh, everybody, when you came in, you should have got a, a fill in the blank. And the first fill in the blank that we've got this morning is this idea. One of the greatest possessions you are afforded is clarity of vision and a sense of purpose. God has innately given you and I this innate desire to long for purpose. And when we come to God, what God gives us is a clarity of vision and a sense of purpose. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18, it says this, that where there is no vision, the people, they perish. You can imagine with me for a moment that here are people that they have no vision, no purpose, no calling in life. What do they do with their life? And just like these dogs, often we find ourselves doing the same thing, hurting ourselves, running into railing. We find ourselves yelling at those online or yelling at those in person or literally just flat out laying down and saying, YOLO, I'm only living for today. But God, he gives us purpose. He gives us vision. Another way that Proverbs describes this is through the NIV. It says that where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, meaning that there's only one life to live, so I might as well just live it up for the experiences that I have. But I'm here today to tell you that God has much more for you than just this moment. He has much more for you than just your own personal satisfaction and gratification. In fact, God has something in store for each and every one of those that call him Father. So the first point today that we're gonna look at is why does purpose actually matter? I think for most of us, we, we can come to that conclusion that yeah, purpose is important. If you've ever been in a corporate setting, it's one of the things that they talk about all the time is the reason why we do what we do, right? We're not just brick builders, right? We're here to build cathedrals. We're not just here to push paper. We're here to sell a product that makes a difference in people's lives. In fact, over the last 30, 40, 50 years, more and more emphasis has been brought on the idea of why we do what we do. And the reason for that is because God has designed us that way. We are unique in God's creation when it comes to a need to know our purpose. I have a small little dog, and uh, my dog Samson, I know it's an ironic name, if we had a big dog, his name would be Tiny, but all right, my dog Samson, he's there, and I can t guarantee you that at not one point in his life has he ever pondered or thought, what's the impact of my life? What am I doing with my days as I lay here on the couch? My dog has never thought that. He lives in the moment and is perfectly content to do so. He gets excited when we come home, and he's lazy the rest of the time. For you and for me, there's something inside of us that does not allow us to do that. And if we're honest with ourselves, even for those of us that choose to go down some of these paths that we talked about earlier, that inside of us, that those deep, dark moments of the soul, we ask these questions. Why am I here? What is my life? worth? Why or what impact does my life make? You and I, we were created on purpose for a purpose. That God in his infinite wisdom had said, when I put my image on you, when I breathe the breath of life into you, that you will have what me, the Holy Spirit, and the Son have. And that is a desire to see these things, the heart of God, come to fruition. In fact, we see it called the creation mandate, where God has given us as human beings dominion. He says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, to make the world something, to take these 
elements that I've made and make it into something great. God has given you and I a purpose and a design. Now, because you can't know your true purpose until you know God, it behooves us to then look at how has God designed us. It's kind of interesting that when we think about it, often up until the point where we come into relationship with God, we try to find purpose in ourselves. We try to find purpose in the things around us. And what happens over and over again is that they leave us feeling empty. They leave us feeling wanting. I don't care how successful you are, there's always these moments where you find people that are saying, hey, I'm, I just need a little bit more. If I could just do a little bit more. James D. Rockefeller, one of the famous quotes that he had was they asked him, they said, hey, how much money is enough? This is the man by all accounts in America, the richest man to ever live. And he said this, he thought for a moment and he said, just one dollar more. The human heart has the desire within itself to constantly keep seeking and striving. And yet God has said, if you want to know true satisfaction and fulfillment, it comes in the purpose that I have designed you for. You cannot find purpose outside of yourself. In fact, I'm convinced that the two most important days of your life are this, the day that you're born and the day that you discover why. The day that you are born, you enter into the world, but one of the most pivotal moments in your life is the day that you discover, why has God placed me on this earth? Why has God gifted me and called me? Why has he placed me here in Springfield, Missouri in 2023? What am I here for? Few things in life are as important as finding your purpose. And when you know your purpose, you can put up with all sorts of pain and inconvenience in pursuit of it. It's amazing how God has designed it that, that just that idea of purpose changes everything about the circumstances that you live in. I heard a pastor describe this recently. He said, imagine, if you would, that you are a doctor, and it's your job to tell a woman who has just come in that she has a very rare condition. It's going to make her waistline grow by 10 inches, and she's going to gain 30 to 40 pounds over the next few months. Now, more than likely, she's likely to punch you in the face. But Savannah and I, we've heard that on three separate occasions, and we've rejoiced at it because the purpose behind that condition was that she was pregnant, that we were bringing life into the world. You see, by going through hard and difficult times without purpose, it leaves us in a place of vulnerability, frustration. It leaves us in a spot of depression and anxiety. But when you understand why you are going through hard times, why you're doing what you're doing, everything changes. The perspective of purpose matters. If you know God's vision and purpose for you, it will absolutely transform how you see everything else in your life. You're filling the blanks. The next uh, spot that I want you to look at is this, is that everything from the past to the present is transformed by the lens of purpose. I want you to hear that again. Everything from the past to the present is transformed by the lens of purpose. What do I mean by that? I mean that this that even things that were bad in the past, God is working together for the good of those who is called according to his purpose. Everything in the past that you would say, man, I would rather just not think about, I would rather get rid of, God is saying, no, 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 I'm gonna turn that into my good work. Not because you're great, Ben, but because I'm that great. Because I'm that good, because I have a calling on your life. Again, Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no vision, people perish. How often in our society have we seen that, that those that seem to be at the peak of their profession, those that seem to have it all, 
Those that we look at on maybe social media and say, wow, they seem to have it all together. It's the picture-perfect family. It's the, it's the great CEO. It's, it's the person that has it all, and yet we find that deep down they're empty inside. We find that a marriage is crumbling or the business isn't exactly what they thought it would be. 2008, we saw how many CEOs jump out of buildings because their very identity had changed because the market tanked. Their identity was built on this. There was no vision outside of themselves. Think for a moment of Jesus. You ever wondered, what was Jesus' purpose? Well, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, look at Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. This is, the writer of Hebrews is saying here that Jesus went through some of the most agonizing moments in all of humanity. Why? What does it say there? For, for what? For the joy that was set before him. Jesus had a purpose beyond his present circumstance. The joy that was set before Jesus, I don't know if you know this family, was you and it was me. It was a relationship with his bride, the church. Now, sometimes I look at myself and I say, man, Jesus got the raw end of that deal. <laughs> like, really? I'm your inheritance, Jesus? Like, you could have done a whole lot better. But yet, here it is in the word of God. Hebrews chapter 12 says it, that for the joy, you were his joy. You were his purpose in going to the cross. He obeyed the will of the Father because his purpose was seeing relationship with humanity finally be restored. I was reading uh, several years ago uh, about World War II, and I, I love history. I'm, I'm a military guy uh, from my first career, and so I just love reading all about World War II. And um, So I was reading very recently, it was um, an article written in the Oxford Journal on the social history of medicine. And it was talking about the Blitz there in England. And it was right around this time where Nazi Germany had captured almost all of Europe. They had just conquered France. And all that was left in the way between the Western civilization, the free world, and Nazi Germany was England. And this is what the article says. It said that from the fall of 1940 to the summer of 1941, the people of Britain lived under a constant hail of bombs called the Blitz. I think we've got a photo up here. You can see this is where the planes were devastating the landscape, destroying most of England. It said that a constant, unceasing bombardment of Nazi planes flew over the English Channel with a goal of halting British wartime production, but more importantly, more importantly than just stopping their production, it says that their goal was to destroy the British morale. They wanted to destroy their will to fight. It said that during a month and a half stretch, the city of London was bombed 56 out of 57 straight days. Homes and businesses were destroyed, children left orphaned, and more than, get this, 40,000 people lost their lives. Just to put that into perspective, there was a little more than 2,000 people that died on September 11th. 40,000 people died in the Blitz. For British citizens, the Blitz came to define their daily life. Air raid sirens screamed at night, and people packed into shelters, and tens and thousands of bombs fell from the sky as they burned huge swaths of British cities. Londoners flocked to the underground tunnels of the tube, which became cities within a city. You can see here, here are people just congregated, trying to get away from the constant 
bombardment. They are in these tunnels. It says that people played cards, joined knitting circles, met with neighbors, and ate their meals while playing music to drown out the impact of the German bombs above head. Following the end of World War II, psychologists studied this, this effect of the blitz on the British people. Many believed that there would be a huge influx of people coming into the psychiatric wards because they would just be completely filled with people that were completely lost. It goes on to say that in many respects, this is one of the psychologists, he says, in many respects, the British were more united than ever before because of the Blitz. A new sense of purpose and personal particip participation had been discovered in the work of their country. Suddenly, these same ordinary British people came face to face with what they had been told would happen. That is the teeth of a barbarous enemy. With only one fighting obstacle standing between Hitler and world domination, the people of England realized the task and the purpose before them. And it concludes with this idea in the Oxford Journal. It says that psychologists concluded that the mental health of the nation improved, not when the blitz stopped, but because the blitz occurred. Touch your neighbor and tell him what God, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Go ahead and tell him. Say, what the enemy meant for evil... God meant for good. You know, that's what purpose is. That's exactly what purpose is. When we discover why on earth we are here, we can go through anything. That it doesn't matter the pressure that's upon us. That just as Jesus went to the cross, he said, I go to the cross because of the joy that is set before me. Purpose can change everything. I don't know where you're at here this morning, but I can tell you this, that if you find yourself in a season where you feel like there's just nothing to your life, that if you feel depressed and anxious, that there's just nobody that understands your situation, can I tell you this? That maybe God is calling you to catch a new vision, to see purpose for your life beyond your current circumstances, to see the way God sees, to do what God does, to feel the way that God feels. The second point this morning is this, is that if we understand that purpose really matters, the second thing we have to see is how then do we discover this purpose? Rick Warren famously wrote this first sentence in his uh, book, The Purpose Driven Life. He said, and he highlights this in there, he says, it's not about you. That can be shocking. Wait a second, my life is not about me? He goes on to say, he says, as human beings, there are timeless questions that we all ask. If it's not about us, then we ask the question, the first one is the question of existence. Why on earth am I here? The second question that we ask is a question of significance. Does my life actually matter? If I know why I'm here, then does my life actually matter? And thirdly is a question of purpose. What then am I here for? Acts chapter 17, verse 26 Paul is speaking to those Greek philosophers, and he says this. He says that God marked out their appointed times in history and their boundaries of their lands. What he means by is this, is that God chose the time and God chose the location for each person. Why? Because God has a specific plan and purpose for your life. You are not an accident. You ever wondered why you were born at this time, at this place, at this location? You ever wondered why out of all the generations of the world, of all the locations on earth, you were born for such a time as this? God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Paul says that you are not an accident. 
that I don't care what society says or what the lies of the enemy say, that you are not an accident and that God has a special plan for you. What we have to do then is discover why then are we here? The reason so many today, I'm convinced, feel and experience an emptiness and dissatisfaction is because of that lack of purpose. All the toys of the world and the longest weekends will never truly satisfy or fulfill. But Paul, he writes again in Ephesians chapter one, and he says this, he's talking to the church there, and this is a prayer to the church in Ephesus, and really it's a prayer to all churches. In fact, one of the manuscripts, one of the earliest, earliest manuscripts actually leaves the church name blank. I'm stepping away, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but basically meaning to say that this is for all churches. So he writes here to Ephesus and he says, in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom in revelation so that you may know him better. If you have a Bible, would you just underline that? that you may know him better. He then goes on to pray, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Friends, that's vision. That's seeing the way that God sees. I want you to know God better, now I want you to see the way that God sees. Why, Why, Paul? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What Paul is saying here is that once you know God and once you have a vision for your life, once you have purpose in your life, it is all about people. Friends, one of my favorite things about High Street is that that verse is the mission statement of High Street, to love God, to serve people, and to reach the world. That you and I, it is not enough to just show up on a Sunday and say, God, got my checklist done, I fulfilled it for you. Got to say, no, I've got so much more for you. I've got a plan for your life. I want you to see the way that I see. In fact, today, right after the 1030 service, many of our staff, we actually take people through what it looks like to discover that purpose. For many people, they've never actually thought about why on earth am I here? And at starting point, Trevor was talking about it earlier, It's an opportunity for those of you that have never had a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've never discovered your purpose, or maybe you're just wondering, how on earth do I use what God has given me in this time, in this place, for such a time as this? At starting point, they help you walk through that. So let's get practical. How do we discover our individual purpose? The first thing in one of your fill in the blanks is this, is we have to look at our gifts your gifts. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church and the body of Christ. Did you, check, did you catch that in verse number 12? The responsibility of the pastors, the evangelists, the preachers, the teachers, is not to do ministry. Because that's what I would think that it would say. Pastor Eddie, your job is to do ministry. Pastoral staff here, your job is to do the work of ministry. But that's not at all what Paul says. Look, look at it again with me. Verse number 12, I'm not saying this. This is what Paul is saying here. He says their responsibility is to what? To equip God's people. Why? For the work of ministry. Meaning that you and I, we are all in full-time ministry. 
That there is no distinction between, between someone that works vocationally at the church and somebody who doesn't. In fact, my day job is not here at the church. I work in construction. I run the operations for a construction company. My day job isn't to do the, the vocational ministry, but I can tell you this, that my job, my calling, my purpose in life is full-time ministry. Your calling is full-time ministry. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And the moment that you begin to see that, the moment that you begin to realize that, oh, what High Street is trying to do is equip me to the call that God has given me, everything begins to change. Everything begins to resonate because now Sunday isn't just for feeling good on Sunday. Sunday is to work out what God wants to do on my Monday. All of a sudden now God is saying, hey, I've got this incredible plan for you if you would open your eyes and see the way that I see. For some of you here today, maybe that is just grabbing somebody and saying, hey, we're going to go to coffee today because I, you know what? I've got some stuff that I just want to share. I think that I, I've got some wisdom that I want to depart and I want to share some things with you. You start a new friendship. For some of you, it's being bold in your faith at work. For some of you, it's, it's saying, okay, God, I've got some extra free time now that I'm retired. What do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to use my money, my time, my resources? Maybe it's getting involved in power packs or putting shoes on kids in the city of Springfield. Maybe it's just walking across the street to your neighbor and saying, hey, I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. All of us, if we have breath in our lungs here today, God is not done with you that we are all in full-time ministry. One of the examples that I give when it comes to the gifts that God has given us is that the way that we see the room that we walk in, the way I describe it is this, is that for many of you, you walk into a room and what you see is this, you begin to see the chairs, right? You begin to see how everything is organized. Maybe the chairs need to be straightened. Maybe the connection cards on the back of the seat, right, they're a little bit scattered. Or maybe it's the wrong week and, hey, we need to get these organized and put into place. Friend, you have the gift of administration. You can see the details, and the church needs people like you. For others of you, when you walk into a room, what you see is the person sitting by themselves. You say, I wonder if anybody's connected. I wonder if anybody's talked to them. You have the gift of hospitality and compassion. To take somebody aside, maybe it's a college student who's here by themselves, is away from family for the first time. Maybe it's somebody who's retired, or maybe they're a widow or a widower, and you're saying, hey, I just want to pull you in and bring you in and tell you that you're still a part of the family. The way that you see the room, you have compassion. For others of you, you're listening to this message, and you're saying, Ben, I can do it way better than that guy. You're a leader. God wants to use you. Guess what? Each one of us has a gift. Each one of us has something that God has placed just for you so that you can be used for him in his plans and purposes. All of us are called to use this. In fact, he says this in Romans 12, six through eight. He says, we have different gifts. So me and my wife, we have very different gifts. But look what Paul says here. According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophecy or prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What this is not saying, which often I try and tell my wife, I say, well, I just don't have the gift of encouragement, so I'm not gonna do it. That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is getting at here is that we're called to develop the gifts that he's placed inside of us. If you have a gift of leadership, then lead. Do it diligently. Do it effectively. Do it for the glory of God. If you have a gift of encouragement, then encourage. 
Send a text, write a letter. Today, man, I, I get the honor and privilege of baptizing two of my older kids. And um, one of the things that was so encouraging to me, and I know is gonna be for them, is that uh, Nancy Wade, she wrote, hand wrote letters to my kids telling them and encouraging them why she was so excited for them to make a decision to follow Jesus. She has a gift of encouragement and leadership. She's using those gifts. For years to come, that will be an impact in my kids' lives. Whatever your gift is, use it for the glory of God. The second thing that we look at here and you're filling the blanks is not just your gifts, but it's your life experience. You and I, we have, we're, we're unique in that nobody else in the history of the world has had the same experiences that you have had. Nobody has the same gift set and nobody has the same experiences that you have. I want you to see this photo. This is a, a picture of my good friend, James Lyons. That's him right there. This is on his 24th birthday. And what I love about James is this, is that James, wherever he goes, he fills the room. He is probably the happiest person that I know. And in fact, he's used his life experience as what we would call King James. He was, he was the prom king and the homecoming king. Everybody loved James. He uses that for the glory of God. Check out this next photo. This is his title here at the church. On the very bottom, he's the happiness and morale director. Any room that James comes into, he changes the room. His life experience and his gifts and talents he is using for the glory of God. God will use anybody. Some of you, you're technical. And you would say, you know what? I've got a background in this. I, I, I know IT. I know this technical side. For you, maybe that's getting involved in production. There are people like this next photo, Corey Johnson. And I think of Donovan Okendo, these guys who pour out and serve week after week, all behind the scenes. Nobody sees the work that they do. And yet every single week, an army of, it takes 20 people to put together a production to put it out and send it out into the world. And every single week, thousands of people hear God's word. Dozens of people make decisions to follow Jesus because of their work, all behind the scenes, using their gifts and their life experience. For some of you, you're great with kids. You've got patience. You've got the ability to speak truth and speak God's word into their life. I think of people like Matt and Tabitha Case. This is a couple right over here that they serve week after week. They poured into my kids. They poured into your kids. They share God's love in an impactful way. They're using what God has given them. Everybody has something that they can lay at the feet of Jesus to serve. For others of you, it's hospitality. I think of people like Paul and Ruth Ann Hawkins, who I can't tell you how many times I've met a new person, maybe it's the second or third week, and I've said, hey, so glad that you're here. How long have you been coming? And they'll tell me, you know, they're brand new. And then they'll tell me, yeah, I just went to lunch with Paul or Ruth Ann Hawkins, and they've opened up their home to me. I'm, I'm over, coming over for a home-cooked meal. Friends, this is what the church looks like. They've got the gift of hospitality. Their life experience allows them to open up their home to serve other people. Everyone has something that God can use. Finally, one of the last ones, and honestly, it's one that most people would think would disqualify them. And the last fill in the blank is your pain. God can use your pain. The fact is that when you walk through a painful season in your life with God, God has a way of turning that around, doesn't he? That what the enemy meant for evil God uses for good. So many of us, we've disqualified ourselves from being used by God because of the pain of our past. And I just wanna let you know here today 
that for somebody you need to hear this, that God is not done with you. That God isn't done with you yet. That there is grace that is extended because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. That there is nobody that is too far gone from his grace. And when they experience the grace of God, what God begins to do is he begins to radically transform the inner man. All of a sudden, the thing that I was so ashamed of and the thing that I tried to hide, now God says, I want to use for my plans and purposes. The very bankruptcy that, you've been, that you haven't wanted to talk about is the very thing that God is going to use to share and to highlight his goodness and grace with that person in your life. For some of you, it's the sexual sin that you've pushed down and you've said, hey, that wasn't, that's no longer me. I've pushed that down. By God's grace, I've got freedom, but I'm not going to talk about it. And God is saying, I need you to start talking and sharing how good I am. So often in the church, we want to share the miraculous story of, of the drunk who says, hey, I'm no longer drunk. I never even have to worry about the temptation of alcohol anymore. And yet how many of us, we say, no, 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 yes, that's amazing, that's awesome, that's good. We love the miracle story. But how many of us, our story isn't that. How many of us, our story is, today I choose to follow Jesus. I'm still tempted when I hear the clink of the glass. But yet, Jesus, you are better. That's a story that needs to be told. That the pain of your past doesn't disqualify you from God's plans and purposes in your life. Some of you need to step into that and say, God, I'm gonna humble myself to what you wanna do with my story in my life. We just celebrated and had a ton of people here the last couple of weeks where we were highlighting Save Our City, where we highlight freeway ministry, and people that have been, in, they've been homeless or they've been in jail. And yet here are people that are living out the gospel, seeing hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith here in our city. God is using their past and their pain for his purpose. There's somebody here today that you need to let go and say, God, would you use me? I'm gonna let go of the pain of the past and say, God, I believe you've got a calling on my life. Give me vision to see what you see. Finally, point number three is this, is that once we understand that purpose matters and we know, God, this is how we discover it, finally, the last thing is how do we actually live this out? how to live when we discover our purpose. I wanna go back to Acts chapter 17. We read earlier. It says, from one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their land. So we just read that. We know that God gives us a time and a space, a place to live. But look at verse number 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God is telling somebody right now, he's saying, seek and you will find. You know the reason why God is not far from those that you work with, your coworkers? It's because God has placed his spirit in you and that he's given you a plan and a purpose for your life. It says in, later on in that verse is that they would seek after him, that they would grope after him, they would try and find him, and yet he is not far. Why is he not far? Because God has placed you at your place of work. God has placed you in your neighborhood. God has placed you with the gifts and the talents and the life experience to be right next to those that are seeking God. You are a world changer, church, whether you believe it or not. And the Spirit of God, think about this, he started with just 12 people in an upper room. And here we are today in North America, 
2,000 years later because those people believed that God wanted to do something in and through them. That this gospel message, this good news was too good to sit still. Friends, there are some of us here that we are perfectly content sitting in pews when God is calling us to live out our life on purpose. The church, we have to step into the city. We have to step into people's lives and say, I've got a hope, I've got a calling, I've got something that you don't have and I wanna share it with you. The apostle Paul traveled throughout the globe to give this good news to people. The gospel message has traveled for 2,000 years from Jerusalem in an upper room all the way to us here today. And I wonder today, is that chain gonna be broken? Are we going to see the way that God sees? Where there is no vision, the people perish. That vision, church, is the gospel. That vision, church, is God's plans and purposes for your life. 1 Peter 1.7, and I think about this verse often, especially when I'm getting pretty comfortable and I think there's something about, maybe it's just how I'm wired, but the moment that I really start to feel comfortable is the moment that I start to say, God, would you do something new? God, would you do something in my life? Look what, look what um, Peter here says. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The imagery that Peter gives the church here is the imagery of a piece of gold that is covered in rock, and they would call it dross. This is, this is what it would look like. They would take a goldsmith, they would find this piece of rock and gold, and they would take it, and then they would begin to mold it down. Often I've heard the example is that when we come to God, we bend our will to God, almost like a piece of iron bends its will to God. God, do whatever you want in my life. And for many, many years, that's the way I would teach it. We, when we come to God, we say, God, do whatever you want with my life. I bend my will to you. But the imagery that Peter gives here is far more than just bending our will to God. The imagery that Peter gives here is being completely destroyed by the fire. The imagery that he gives here is that everything around the gold, everything that is not the calling and purpose, everything that is not what God has called you to be is burnt away. And that he would mold you, not bend you, but mold you into the image of his son. That as we walk out of these four walls here today, that you would be a little Jesus, that you would be molded into the image of Jesus where you are. Whether it's in places of power or spots of poverty. Whether it's in neighborhoods or whether it's in the workplace. If you're listening to me here today, God is not done. The question is, are we? Several years ago, when my family was younger, we were living in Texas. And um, got a picture of my family up here around that time. My, my little girl, Willow, who's getting baptized today, so excited. Uh, she was three years old right here. And uh, just the cutest little thing we decided, hey, we're gonna take a long weekend and we're gonna go out, we're gonna go to uh, the water park. And because it's Texas, everything is bigger in Texas, so this water park was massive. Thousands of people are there, it's the summertime, everybody's having a ton of fun. As you can see there, we just had our, our little guy, Hero, he's our, our newborn at that point in time. 
and we're just enjoying life. We're out there having fun. My, my wife's got, you know, Hero, we got Coda, we got Willow. And for those of you that have had three or more kids, you know how this works. Like when you've got one, you, you've got a double team as a parent. Then when you get two, you're kind of man to man. But once you go to three, you're at zone coverage. You know what I mean? Like there's, you got a hand on one, you're kind of looking for the other. All right, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And so we're there having a ton of fun there at the water park. And I just remember, I, I remember looking up and I, I started to do the count in my head, right? Like, okay, there's my wife, there's one. Okay, there's my, there's my infant, she's holding him, there's two. There's Coda, right? There's three, there's me. Wait, where's, where's Willow? Where's my, where's my little girl? And just at that moment, just across the kiddie pool, I look up, and you know this as parents, I look up and I look at my wife's eyes and we both have the same look. Where's our little girl? She's gone. And you can imagine as a parent, your heart just drops. Where's my baby? And all of a sudden I become frantic. I start to look, where's Willow? Where is she at? And I start to move kids out of the way. I'm starting to look all in the kitty area and she's not there. I move over to where the slides are. I'm looking, I'm, and she, again, she's only three years old. She can barely communicate. She doesn't know how to tell people who she is. She doesn't know how to get back if she's lost. And so I'm frantically looking, where's my girl? Where's my daughter? Where's she at? She's not in the kiddie pool. She's not in the slide. She's not over in the wade pool. And I begin to move out of the kid area and start walking into where all the adults are. And I'm, at this point, you can imagine, I'm frantic. I'm desperate. Where is she? As I come down these stairs, as I walk into the main area of the water pool, there is a security guard standing with his hands in his pockets. And I think, oh, thank God. I'm gonna get some help. He's gonna be able to radio some people. We can get some people looking. And I come over to him and I'm frantic and I say, hey, please, can you please help me? My little girl, she's only three. She doesn't know how to really communicate how, where she is or where we are, or where she's coming from. Can you please help me? And here's this security guard standing there at the, the edge of the wall and he looks at me, he sort of shrugs and he goes, you probably find some help at the front desk. Can I tell you as a father how, how frustrated I was? how angry I was. How can you be so callous? This is my girl, and she's gone. What do you mean you can't help? Go to the front desk, I need your help. So I run off and I head out into the, to the great expanse of the water park and probably two to three minutes later, I, around the corner, there's five or six staff in a circle, and right there in the circle is my little girl. They're asking her, do you know where your mommy and daddy is? And she doesn't know how to communicate. I just come over there, I run up, put my arms around her. I love you, baby. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Joe, you know, that's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of God who would leave the 99 and come after the one. And yet so often, I'm that security guard standing there with God trying to do his work, with God looking, trying to find the one that's lost, and I'm sitting there with a smug look on my face saying, ah, you can go somewhere else, God. I'm a little busy right now. God, help us. Who though was in the form of God, Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross for you and for me. 
to bring back his humanity, to purchase back what he already owned. That's the love of the Father. There's some of us here today, we need to say, God, would you give me vision again? Give me vision to see the way that you see people. Give me a heart to feel the way that you feel for your hurting, broken humanity. So often I'm so consumed with this pond that is the church and Christendom that I forget that there is a sea of broken humanity right outside of these walls. It's just like my little girl and doesn't know how to get home. Today my challenge for us is that this idea of purpose, it's for people. Our purpose is not for us. Our purpose is for the people that God has called us to. I pray that we would have that heart. I pray that we would see the way that God sees.